This episode of the Wedding Film School Show is brought to you by Musicbed, the best music licensing platform for wedding filmmakers. Head over to themusicbed.com and enter our code WFS on checkout to get a free month on your annual wedding subscription. Now, on to the show. This episode is about creating demand because it's like a really critical thing and a lot of people don't know how to do it and they're in that place of struggle. There are really oversimplified ways to talk about it. A lot of them are true, but they're not the whole truth. And at the end of the day, what if we just said it's like really hard and it's a lot of work? Well, it is. It is. It's the only real way to create demand. We make fun of the people that are on social media that do those ads that are, if you just pay for my class, all the secrets will be unlocked to you, but it's not simple. Sure, I suck with email, but... Yeah. I'm like, don't. that means they don't have a good experience with you. Yeah. They're going to tell someone. They're really good to work with, but they're kind of a flake. It's like, that's a bad experience. You're probably going to have to put the footwork in. You're going to have to go out there. You're going to have to connect with people. You want to short circuit and get to the top quicker? Get over yourself. Like, I don't care if you were like, actually just love playing Call of Duty every night and you're just pounding down Doritos and like Mountain Dew. Go we do it. that too, by the way. Hello and welcome back to the Wedding Film School Show. My name is Jared Haskell. We have another great episode for you today. Jason McCutcheon is in the house, my co-owner of my business and co-host of this show, the Wedding Film School Show. Jason, how are we doing? I am so excited to get to this content today because I believe it's going to unlock a part of people's business that um, has been previously hidden behind a door and they're going to go to that next level. And that's what I'm excited about. Would you say it's a, a door of mystery and, and or a, a door of uh, secrets, maybe? No, I would say it's a door of opportunity. A door and of opportunity. Because right. if you you got to have that abundance mindset and you got to believe that, um, that, that it's out there. Right. So, so today we're talking about how to create demand and how, more specifically, how to create demand for your wedding film services. So we have... Five pillars, I would say, mm. to um, help you on your journey to creating uh, more demand. So let, let's just rifle through these really quick, um, and then we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper. So first, um, we put you have to believe in yourself and have a positive attitude. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, um, is a filmmaker really expected to be going out there and? winning a couple over when they don't even believe in their own work. Like you have to believe in yourself if you want couples to believe in you. So true. Second, we put how to create a film that connects to people's emotion. You have to create a film that connects to their emotions. I mean, people are emotional animals. They've done studies on this. Um, they can, they react to colors. Um, there's a reason why McDonald's has bright colors. They want people to move. Well, like films are the same way as McDonald's there. You want people to connect with something that they see that will move their emotions. It's deep. It's good. Third, you have to rise and grind. You got to be on that grind set every day. Every day. Like, um, no one's going to outwork me. I get up. I put a book on triple speed. Listen to a triple speed. I, pr- I probably am listening to three books a day. Yeah. And I think, do I need to hear the information? Uh, not really. I, I don't know what they're talking about. I think you're just absorbing all this knowledge by osmosis. And I think the same thing about editing. Do I need to actually know what I'm doing? No. Just grind. Go. Get it done. Grind your br- brain into oblivion, right? <laughs> totally. I mean, people complain about this stuff, but I'm telling you, it will set you free if you realize that there's just a construct around you. We call it the matrix that's keeping you inside of it. And if you are willing to rise and grind, you can break through. Right, right. Fourth, uh, Instagram. TikTok, Instagram. TikTok is next. No, so on t- TikTok and Instagram are, I think, the, the wave of the future. Social media, now more than ever, is relevant. Totally. And so if you're not on social media, what are you doing? You're just living under a rock, apparently. <clears throat> you should be abandoned in the dark ages you came from. You definitely shouldn't be getting a wedding film if you're not on social media, and you shouldn't be a wedding filmmaker unless you prioritize Instagram, right? I would, I would say so. I think that's a good point. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, fifth was paid ads. Paid ads. You know, I, 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 was, I wasn't going to give this one away. but Don't give it away. No, I ha- I, 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 Jared, I care about these people too much. I need to say this. We have filmmakers who are doing 
25,000, $50,000 months. Bitcoin. With, Bitcoin with our system yeah. of advertising. And I'm telling you, if these people will just understand the secrets to Facebook ads, um, they can also have those same exact results. And so for one time only, we're going to open up a free membership to our weekly grind session on Facebook Marketplace. Um, all you have to do is go on, sign up, and I will give you the secrets um, to having $100,000 weeks. It's called Rise and Grind JJ with Jason and J. Yes, Rise and Grind with J&J. And we will teach you the secrets to mastering Facebook Marketplace and um, or ads or, or yeah, whatever. S- screw you. The meta. Yeah, whatever. Screw you. Who cares? <laughs> Just whatever. One of those ad things. Uh. Like, we're masters at it and come to our master class and give me money. <laughs> Facebook, go f- yourself. Yeah, <laughs> good. Uh, of course, we jest <laughs> because, uh, you know, I think creating demand. Uh, well, those those aren't good points that we just had. Uh, no, I would say uh, they're probably points if you and I wanted to make money and really took. Well, I would say but. this. What's funny about all those is actually all of them are true. I think the key here is like we're talking about. Okay, this episode is about creating demand, and I think this is like when we we're talking about the episode, we were like, Ugh, like. I don't know, hemming and hawing and kind of back and forth because it's like a really critical thing and a lot of people don't know how to do it and they're in that place of struggle and there are really oversimplified ways to talk about it. Yes. And a lot of them are true, yeah. but they're not the whole truth. And at the end of the day, you you just said like, what if we just said it's like really hard and it's a lot of work? And I was like, well, it is. It is. It's the only real way to create demand. Like. We make fun of the people that are on social media, that are on Facebook and Instagram, that do those ads that are 30 seconds. If you just pay for my class, you, you, all the secrets will be unlocked to you, um, and you just have to do these three simple steps. And the truth is, is it's not really simple. You know, it might sell ads and it might sell uh, kind of uh, classes and, and courses, uh, but it's not simple. It's deep. It takes a lot of well, the effort irony and a about- lot of time. The irony about anyone who's teaching you a class on how to do something is the second everyone else does it, it's immediately less valuable. <laughs> totally. It's like if everyone's making good ads, then it just means no one's making good but, ads. But I always think about this too. Is this, If it was so effective, then why wouldn't they just be applying it to themselves and dominating the market? They are applying it to themselves. They targeted you, right. the filmmaker, and got you to buy their class. But they're not doing wedding films. Like The people that are doing those are not even doing the work. Right? In most cases. I think there's a, and what we're referring to, if you don't know, is like basically get rich quick schemes targeted at creatives to help them have like, they'll always hear say them say something like have $20,000 sale months. And what they don't tell you is they're talking about the one biggest booking month of the year where you book four of your bookings and then the rest of the year you might book 10 people additionally it's it's like it's not that they're lying but they're relying on your ignorance to how the wedding industry goes or any of this stuff and so we don't want to do that yeah this is what i would say about our podcast and what we're going to talk about this entire show is like if you're not willing to work really hard just stop listening to the episode now because like our podcast in general is generally going to be like, hey, do the things no one else is willing to do. And that will, will will be the thing, the cream that rises to the crop is when you're willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do, when you're willing to outwork people, um, it's not simple. And so the reason why all these people want to do ads is because they no longer want to do the hard thing. They want to do the simple thing and make money off of filmmakers by tricking them. <laughs> Wait, not ads, but you mean courses. Courses, but they do ads to sell yeah. the courses. And they want to sell you how to make ads because they know um, they can't sell you how to do networking because they've never done it. Right, right. <laughs> so so we're, we're actually going to go through our actual five pillars, which um, you know I wouldn't say are very simple. Um, but if you do them um, correctly, I think we can actually promise that people well, – you'll create demand and for And I was going to say too about these is it's – what I am more interested in with a lot of this stuff, Jared, is like getting someone to look at why is this not working and here's five reasons things might not be working. 
of course, you can take them on the affirmative and say, like, here's five things I should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be hard to know if you're doing something well, but it, it's a lot easier to know if you're doing something really poorly, I think. Yeah. Like, like it's it can be, like, easy to know, like, out of these five things, I'm weak in these two areas or three areas, and I'm really strong in these two areas. Mm-hmm. Like, but, but I think um, – Especially if you've been doing it for a while and you know, you know, what people react well to. Or even like one of our tips today is like, you know, make essentially make good films. You know, I think most people think they make good films, but if people aren't reacting the way that you think they ought to be, it's on the table to question is yeah. really what I'm saying. It's like sure. every everything that we're talking about today should be on the table regularly when you're evaluating your business. And so in general, I think if people do like three out of these five things, they should be doing really well. If they do four out of these five things, I kind of would guarantee they're doing well. If you're doing all these well, you're a superstar, you're, you're killing it. And, and so what, what's the first one, Jerry? Yeah. Before you give away the rest of them, Jason, give away our, our dramatic, uh, suspense here. (laughs) All right. So the first one we have is create reach. So what do we mean by creating reach? What is reach? When reach you're talking is, about getting in front of other people. Yeah, reach is a marketing term used in the industry, but also just I think most people basically know, which is it's a measurement of how many people your brand can touch mm-hmm. with a given, whether it be on social media or an ad or through publications, whatever it is. Like a good brand, a good wedding filmmaking company will have reach, diverse reach, first of all. They won't just be relying on one source they'll have a lot of sources they will have their tendrils kind of spread out throughout their market and and i think you know this is less to me about like what you should be doing because what's funny about reach is like depending on your goals your market your price whatever about your business like your reach a, how many people you need to reach is going to differ. How many people you can reach is going to differ. But you need enough reach to actually create the demand that you want, right? Because so reach is really about like I always tell people this. In marketing, we would we would try to do like a 1% rule. So if we were running an ad or something, there's like multiple conversion points, right? There's a click on the ad and then there's the conversion on the website, whether it be like collecting someone's information or, or you know, getting the ad to the shopping cart. And then there's like close the deal, right? And so like you have multiple conversion points. You really want at every conversion point like that number to go up, right? So this first group of people uninitiated, they see the ad, 1% of the people, one out of 100 people who see your ad might click on it. And then out of that, like 10% of those people might actually fill the form out. And then out of that, hopefully you go up again, like 20% of those people make a sale, right? That's a numbers game, which is like, well, that doesn't make any sense, Jay. You said 100 people. What does that tell you? You need like 10,000 people to interact with your brand to get one sale. Right, right. So do you think reach has more to do than just marketing and getting your name out there through paying for No, it's play? all the same. I think reach is just a metric used to measure the effectiveness of your marketing. That is before, it's a lead measure before sales. And that's what I always try to get people to look at is don't just look at your sales, look at your reach. Yeah. If you have limited reach, if you're be honest with yourself and say, okay, there's a lot of ways to look at it. You could look at clicks. You could look at engagements. You could even just do like how many places could someone see me, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Like they can stumble upon me like or for myself. They can stumble upon me via SEO on Vimeo or YouTube. They can stumble upon me. Um, in multiple publications this year. They can stumble upon my brands by going to planners, Instagram reels, by following photographers, by checking out the knot, by like, like we have a ton of different um, outlets where our name is out there. Like that's part of our reach. So it's like, it's not just, oh, you have, we have like 4,500 followers on Instagram. Well, yeah, but also the planner who put me on a collab has 20,000 and that other planner has 20,000 and that other planner has 20,000. Our reach is very significant. Right, right. I always see reach as having shallow influence <coughs> over people. Like it's a sure. shallow touch point. You're just creating some kind of really shallow connection with somebody, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to be something that it's like someone's going to be watching like a, a 
10 minute long video of you, but they're just seeing our name of one of our companies, Stop Go Love, Merriment Films. And then, you know, the more that you are creating that shallow reach, touching somebody, they're going to start remembering your name more and more and more. So mm -hmm. just putting that name in the back of people's head. So they're trying to create of, top of mind awareness. Right. And there's a couple of ways to do this. You mentioned really both of them. One is going to be you pay for it. You pay to have reach. You get it out there multiple times. If you have unlimited amounts of money, you can probably generate some serious reach. We talked about it, you know, with Tolman Media. They had a ton of reach. All these national brands, they have a lot of reach because they have a lot of money. They can get in front of a lot of people easily, right? Just shallow connections. People would be surprised. Like I remember reading a sales book years ago, Jared, and they said like it takes a person an average of 10 engagements with a brand before they're willing to make a purchase where they have like the, tr the, the trust. Exactly. And a lot of filmmakers, they're just not getting enough swings at the plate. Yep. They don't realize how many times you need to be in front of someone. And it's like, Oh, you're telling me I have to like live and die off social media? Well, okay, that could be one way to do it. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm just telling you, you need a lot of exposure yeah. with couples. Yep. And and the other way, so that that's the immediate way: have money, mm -hmm. spend it, spend money, get in front out. of people. The other way takes probably a lot longer. It's a much more organic type of reach, right? Where it's like you're creating a little bit more touch points, you're growing your Instagram following. It's not simple. Like well, growing an Instagram them, following is very difficult. I would right? call one of them like viral reach, right? And paid reach. And the other one like embedded reach, mm -hmm. like institutional reach. Yep. Like in our industry where we live, we are part of the wedding industry. We're embedded in all the top venues. We're embedded with the planners. We are part of the industry. And that will help. Like as you become more established, some things will get easier. Mm -hmm. for you in your business definitely for sure yep. but it's just one thing to look at you need you need to create reach for your business and so if you're sitting there and you're like well no one knows who i am mm -hmm. like I, I can promise you this is probably like the first problem that most people need to fix in their business is nobody knows who they are and that's like the actual second problem be, the first one is because they're not out there in any capacity mm -hmm. how could they find out who you are well, I make better films than this guy. You hear that all the time. I make better films than this guy. Why is this person getting booked? Because mm -hmm. they know who they are and they don't know who you are. Yep. So you have to solve that problem and it's going to vary based on your market, pricing, all these things. Like, I guess I wish I could give you that master class on how to master your ads or master this or master that. I mean, there, there's, there's a million ways to do it. I think finding a way to get reach in front of as many people as possible you have to find your own way. Like I know a way that um, we've gotten reach in the past. You know, it can be Instagram marketing. It can be having an Instagram following. Um, but it can also just be, hey, showing up. You have to go places to maybe some networking events. Connect with sure. people. What like you that? have like to Weva make it. or whatever. Not Weva. What's the one in? Aliyah is Aaliyah. one in New England. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of these around the country. Um, but just getting out there and making it so that people are talking about you is reach. It's soft reach. Literally anything from going to a wedding show, getting involved in a, which like, these are not things we do. And I'm not saying don't do them, but I am saying anybody who tells you don't do that and don't do that, be careful with those people because a lot of them actually don't know what they're talking about. Right. And like, if someone's like, don't go do a bride's group. Well, yeah, don't go to a bride's group. If you're trying to sell them an $8,000 package, I mean, I guess do whatever you want, but I, I would doubt they're going to buy it. But like different well, different things are going to work for different seasons in your business. This is what I would say. I would say we no longer do a lot of those things, but in the past I have done them. And I maybe don't think I have to go to them every single week to have reach. I know if I went one time, I made an impact. They remember who I am. Like that's another kind of uh, part of this reach that we'll dive into a little bit. But um, I would say just... You don't have to go to these things all the time. Um, just get your name out there. However, whatever it takes, you know, to make sure that people remember who you are um, is soft reach, right? You got to care about this and yep. you have to know probably the biggest problem with not getting bookings is just not having yep. enough visibility. So I, I would say if you're concerned that you don't have a lot of reach, you've just started, you have, you know, under a thousand people on your Instagram and no one really knows who you are, I would say write down five ways that you can get out there and make reach happen. 
A lot of times, if you're just starting out, you probably don't have a lot of money. You're probably going to have to put the footwork in. You're going to have to go out there. You're going to have to connect with people. So go do it. Like, you know, if that's go to one of these groups, a lot of times these groups like ILEA, they'll let you go the first time for free. Maybe you never go again, but people might remember who you are. And then you can make these kind of basic connections that lead into maybe deeper connections, which we'll talk about uh, in another point. Um, but just write down five ways that you can generate some reach. That's a great way to start. So um, the second one that uh, we want to talk about was get good, which we've done a whole entire episode on, uh, which you should go back and listen to if you haven't already, um, because there is so much to talk about there. And this is just kind of like a general, really broad topic. What do we mean? Pretty basically? obvious. Yeah. What do we mean when we say get good? Make a product that on the market is considered better than most. Or just average, good enough, you know? Well, I would say if you're average, you your films won't provide lift in your reach. And that's the truth. If you're average, you're just going to be – you're not going to lose out, but you're not going to rise above. If you're good – your films will actually lift you above the crowd and create more marketing opportunities. Yeah. Well, it's like everything. It's like there's a spectrum to your reach. There's a spectrum to getting good. Um, all these points that we're going to make, it's like the more you do it and the better you are at it, the more you'll generate you know, demand. Yeah, and I don't have too much to say about this because I think it's self-evident. Everyone knows that you make a good product, people want to buy good products. Mm -hmm. I will say this is a really hard one on the other side if you're not succeeding at it because <clears throat> you know if you're not good chances are you don't know you're not good so i always try to say to people like be open that you might not be as good as you think you are and that that could be contributing to your lack of marketing success yep like not so much that if your films are good your films will suddenly pop off on social and but to say like if they're not good, and by the way, so TikTok doing well does not mean your films are good, <laughs> right? Like, like people not giving you money is what means your films aren't that good, you know? And so if you're having a hard time closing the deal, you need to be open with yourself about like, what are some things about my film? Whether it's like, not that they're not good, but they're not um, meeting demand. Like there's something about them that people are not happy about. You got to be open with the thing that you're doing is not necessarily helping your business. Yeah. And if you are concerned that you might not be good, if you, it's hard to put yourself on some kind of like scale, I would say sign up for WFS live, which is every Thursday at 1 PM Eastern standard time. That's an easy way to submit your film, have it be critiqued so you can find out if you're good. It's hosted by Jason. Uh, every once in a while, Bobby and I hop on and we just critique p people's wedding films. That's a great way to do it. It's a free service. Uh, go over there and sign up. Weddingfilm.school. Uh, there's a tab at the top for live reviews. So make sure you do that. Uh, next one is create an excellent experience. Pretty obvious, but this goes beyond being good at being a wedding filmmaker and just having reach, right? Well, I would think like creating demand for something is like, Basically, you're creating the ability to have a conversation with between humans about wanting it, mm -hmm. right? And so, obviously, good films kind of speak for themselves. And then most people, I think, understand that language. And I think most people would say, like, they want to create a good experience for their couples. But I don't think a lot of people really realize, like, how impactful it is. Like, I wonder, Jared, like, with what do you think the, like – percentages of like you get a referral from a couple right how much of it was the film and how much of it was the relationship with oh, or experience with us as a brand almost 75 percent is probably maybe even more is it was a good experience with them that everyone that is referred to us from a bride or groom especially is is the first thing they say is they're the best it doesn't say necessarily they made a, an amazing film they made the best film for us they go they're the best Talk about us. That's about who we are as people. That or always, Caleb was amazing or like literally. Yeah, it's about their experience with us, which, yes, the product is a part of the overall experience, but it's how they feel about your overall 
beginning to end, you know, head to toes, you know, experience with you. From the uh, beginning sales call to when you explain the contracts and product that they're going to get yep. all the way to shooting with them, filling out the forms with them, just everything you did with them along the way is contributing and like culminating on the film. Yep. But it's like, I, what's funny about it is if they have a bad experience leading up, I know they're going to be less forgiving on the film. Mm-hmm. And if they have a good experience, they're going to like the film more. How weird is that? Yep. Nope. That's just how people buy all the time. It's, it's their mood affects their overall experience. So if you can give them, put them in a good mood, change their day around. Like that's something when I'm hopping on the phone with somebody, I'm like, I want this to be the best part of everyone's day is when they're on the phone with me talking about wedding films, relating to them. Like, and if they want to get off the phone fast, that's totally fine. Well, they, I, we're going to get off the phone fast. If they want to have a long conversation, more than willing to do that, whatever they want, I'm going to roll with. Think about our packages, right? Our packages, when we talk about packages, we do think about money, but we talk about customers and we always say, well, what do people want? Mm-hmm. Oh, people want it this way. People want it explained this way. Like, oh, everyone who's calling me wants this. And that's pretty much our, how we determine what we sell is what do people want, right? And then how do we make it easy for them to get what they want? Like raw footage, we've always, we might not do this forever, but we've given it away for years, right? And and it's like, who give it away? Well, no, I mean, kind of gave it away. Like, I think we were probably more expensive still than other people with raw footage. So I don't think we were giving it away. I think we were just rolling it into the price essentially as an experience. But the fact that the couple felt like we were giving it to them, they were willing to pay more off the bat. And it's like, that's like a little psychological thing that you're doing where how you're presenting something to a person in the sales call makes them feel better about, about trusting you than then someone else is kind of digging in in a different direction. Like everything about this interaction is creating how they view the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And, and we just have thought through this and it's like, we are willing to do what other people aren't willing to do when it comes to that. And for me now, guess what? Giving away raw footage is super easy. And for you, it's super hard because you don't have a system in place. So yeah, I'm going to give it away for free and I'm going to look better than you. So that's a better client experience for me yeah. well, than it is goes, when they call you. The <laughs> client goes, they're not trying to nickel and dime me. Right. That's the experience they have yep. when they call us. And like, we just give it away. You know, we don't want to throw away clips of your grandma. Just so you know, I'm using that line against you. So, <laughs> sorry. Like, and it's like you could sell it, but you could also just charge a thousand dollars more and tell them they're giving. It. Like, it's not that it's sneaky. It's like thinking about how it feels on the other end. Yep. When you're here, when you're being pitched something like. And it's it's thinking for people. Like I know what people are thinking when I'm on a sales call with them. For instance, like um, talking about raw footage, I might say like, you know, I, I you might never look at your raw footage. A lot of people won't. That's totally fine. But then when you want a certain thirty second clip of your grandma, like you have the access to it if you want it. And they're like, that's a good point. Yeah, no, yeah, that, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like that's giving someone a good experience. Like if you go to a nice hotel and they're thinking for you, they're thinking, hey, in the morning, uh, when whenever you might want to call for breakfast, make sure uh, I'll put a reservation in now for you because it tends to get backed up. That's thinking for you mm-hmm. because when you call the next morning and they're booked up, you're going to be like, oh, man, that's a bad experience. And it's my fault. I didn't call them to make reservations. But guess what? They did it the day before because they're thinking for me. That's yes. a good experience. Yes. It's all about can you reduce the decisions a client has to make to actually see the films yeah. and notice that the films are good. And like, yeah. it's really about like creating that next sale for you. And it creates demand because it's the thing that people talk about when they talk to their friends Yep. about you. They don't, they'll talk about the film and that obviously matters. Right. But like what they're really going to say is, Oh, that was a beautiful film. And they are so cool. They're so laid back. They're so this. And also like they got back to me. Like there's a lot of ways you can screw up client experience that totally. have nothing to do with your presence day off. Yep. I think a lot of videographers kind of fall into the trap of like, if my work is good, it will push me through sales. And you might be right, but it's definitely not going to amplify your sales. I've heard people say, Jared, 
I'm really, I, people have a great experience with me. Sure. I suck with email, but yeah, I'm like, don't, that means they don't have a good experience with you. Yeah. Like, like you think that like, because you showed up day of there's, they're going to tell someone they're really good to work with, but they're kind of a flake. Right. That's not a good experience. Like that's a bad experience. And like, yeah, you can stomach it if you're good enough. But you like, might be able to get by for why a while. Get, why have the variable? Yep. Why yep. have the variable? I would just say, like, make sure every part of your experience, every touch point they have with you, and this is what I'll say to clear, close this one out. Just go through your touch points. By that, I mean anytime you interact with a client in your process, um, anywhere you could interact, and make sure that every part of it is buttoned down from the first email to the last delivery point. Make sure there's nothing in there that's like constantly having hiccups and problems. And if you know like, okay, that follow-up email after the sales call, I'm always five days late. I promise you, if you're really bad at any one of those touch points, it's costing you money. Yep. I would say when it comes to generating a good client experience, the number one rule is always do what you say you're going to do. And then the number two rule is always exceed people's expectations. Because if you say you're going to do a certain thing and then you don't do it, even if it's as small of a thing as like, I'm going to call you at noon and you call at 12.05, someone is going to be like, these people aren't tidy with their time. They don't respect my time. Like even if it's like a tiny thing, those things can add up and become bohemus where it's like these people are pissed at you. They think you're a flake. So like do what you say you're going to do, even in the super small things like that you might not matter to you at all. But understand, it might matter to a well, client, especially always... the more money a client makes, and and the like, those things matter a lot more. They want to be treated better. My dad always says, "Put change in your pocket with people." Yes. So I love it's that. like, so then when you something goes wrong, you have change. You have change to draw from. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like there was an issue with your film. If you were amazing all the way through, and there's a mild issue with their film it's going to go way better for you than if they have already decided you're a flake, you missed one of their appointments, you all this stuff. When you call them and say, there was a problem, one of my cameras overheated, they're going to be like, okay, I've had it. You've been a flake this whole time. I'm done. And so if you're having these issues, definitely it's going to affect your demand. Yep. And I would also just add at the end, just no one's perfect with this stuff. It's always going to be a process. It's always going to be a journey. We don't always give the best customer experience, but guess what? Every single time we learn from those bad customer experiences, you know, so understand it's a journey. Um, the next one, uh, we put is create a compelling brand. So Jay, when it comes to a brand, how is a brand different from marketing and how is it different from a logo? (laughs) I mean, a brand is an identity, right? A brand is what people are saying about you when you're not in the room, right? A brand is, has a language of its own. It's like a convergence of the work and marketing into one discipline. It's, it's what people use. You know, this is what I'll tell you about brands. I remember I was with my family. I think we're in um, Gatlinburg. We're driving through like, what is that? Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And we're driving through and, and I was like, let's get some good food. Like we pulled over and I'm walking through the downtown area. It's tons of antique stores and all kinds of like, you know, just places that my my family loves antiques. I hate antiques. Stores. I was gonna say it sounds terrible. <laughs> it's kind of nice. I like certain things. If there's, you know, for like 30 minutes. Yeah. But anyway, we we're walking around. It was a long drive too, so I guess I was like at that point, I was like just literally anything, but it being in the car. So I see a restaurant, and I'm like, let's go there. And they're like. We went and the food was incredible. I had this pork chop. And and then they're like, well, how did you know this was going to be good? I'm like, the logo. I was like, I knew that this logo was some hippy dippy person who wanted to go and do farm to table crap and all that stuff that I know is going to be good. I had an idea of what to expect from the restaurant by looking at the logo. And is that always true? No. There are plenty of things where it's not as advertised as they say, where you see the logo and we can all think of a place where it's like, oh, that's not true, Jay. I love hole-in-the-wall joints. Yes, there's always exceptions on both sides. Terrible brands with great services, great brands with terrible services. Most of the time, though, 
it's like when you go into a restaurant and it's dirty. Yeah. I was going to say, your bathroom is a brand, bro. Yes. <laughs> like, how yeah. clean is your so bathroom? So it's like, that's ultimately like people are taking in all this information about you that's satellite to your core service. And it gives them an idea of what to expect from your core service. And it does a lot of work for you. A solid brand will just like, you know, like I look at a lot of the top people in our industry and people go like this. Oh, he's amazing. She's amazing. Why? They did that person's wedding. That literally has nothing to do with the film, Jared. Their brand is now, though, coupled with something that someone goes, trust. If, you know, the Biden family trusts Lindsay and Cherish, then they're good. And if this planner trusts Jared, then they're good. And if, so it's like, there's a lot of things that are like statements about your brand that are happening outside of the film. And a lot of people, they don't think about that. And so like this comes into your website, right? Your logo, the fonts you use, like the way you carry yourself on the wedding day, the way you dress, the, the size of your font in your film, the size of your logos, the way your forms are organized, the kerning on your website, the line spacing on your website. Like every single little element is telling a story to someone. And the amount of people who I see who are trying to create demand who literally have in unfinished websites blows my mind, Jared. Does it? <laughs> it really does because like I'm an eight and eights always think. An eight on what? Explain an that. Enneagram. Eights always think it's a challenger is what it means. And the core thing of an eight, no, no, no sorry, challenge is Myers-Briggs. Um, but an eight always thinks, um, why doesn't everyone see this? This is so obvious. Why would you ever think this way? Why would you think that someone's going to overlook this? They're clearly not going to overlook this. You don't even overlook it with a pizza place. This is what I need people to understand is you want someone to spend $5,000 on a wedding film and like you have grammar errors on your website. That is a terrible brand you have a font like a logo that looks like it was like not even not even fiverr like you made it wedding filmmaker you're not a designer maybe hire someone <laughs> like you know what i mean it's like i feel like we talk about branding a lot but then people you know maybe the challenge here with branding jared is like it is a discipline and it is a skill and i think overpriced sometimes and people don't know how to get great branding for cheap Right. And That's so true. I think some people are like, like, cause the brand identity, like the visual identity side or the experience side of having a great website or the experience side of having like coherent marketing and like, there's a lot of disciplines that have nothing to do with filmmaking here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say great branding. It takes a really long time too. like, uh, it, there's a lot of overlap, right? Of like what we just talked about, like great client experience um, in your brand, but also what is your experience like to a photographer, to a planner, to your venues? Like, you know, that that's a big part of it too. Um, I remember a, a couple uh, years ago, uh, probably pre-COVID, I got a text message. I was shooting a wedding. I got a text message from Joe uh, Lauren, photographer that we work with often. Joe is the best. He is a great photographer, cool dude to be around. Uh, we're shooting with Joe, or not, I wasn't shooting with Joe, but I get a text message from Joe. He was like, who is this Brian guy? Like, he's kind of an ass. And it was just like talking smack. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I went outside and I called Joe and he didn't pick up, but he texted me right back. He's like, no, I'm just screwing with you. He was like, I love every single one on your team. I've probably worked with seven guys over the year and every single one is just Awesome. I don't know how you do it, but I love working with your team. You could send me anyone in your team all the time and I will work with them because you find awesome people. That's a big part of our brand is like, we are only going to send people that are not annoying who make the photographer's job easier. Yes. That's a huge part of our brand. What are people saying about you when you're not around? That's right? It. Like when they see you like, oh, that's elegant or that's this mm -hmm. or that's that. 
And like, I do find there's one other aspect to branding that's like, there are people who are like, I'll say, hey, what do you want people to see when they see your brand? Yes. And then I go like, they'll be like, oh, luxury. I want luxury or something like that. And you look at their stuff and I'm like, that's not luxury. Mm -hmm. Like a guy posted the other day, he says like, how do you get these people to do these luxury shots? You know, like sparklers during their first dance and all this stuff. And everybody was like, those are not luxury. <laughs> I was like, that's like tacky stuff. That's not luxury. Luxury is about, to me, and I said, about refined taste and having a, like a sense of style, not gaudy stuff. How do you explain that to someone? Though? Exactly. That's the problem. It's right. like that guy was saying like cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool, and I said, like, those can be cool, sure. Right. Like, there's, I, I think you can have cool sparklers could be cool. Yeah. Um, it's not the right vocabulary to say it's luxury. Right. And, and I think, like, branding requires – it's like being a sommelier of taste. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to know, smell it, taste it, that whole thing. Every, oh, this is – I'll define this for you. It's like who, who, who knows what's good? And it's like, if you don't know what's good, if you're not cool, if you don't understand how to speak languages, like mm -hmm. the amount of people I talk to, Jared, that have no sense, like when I ask them about wedding dress companies, they have, don't know any wedding dress companies. So this is what I'll say. If you stuck at branding, I'm going to make it easy for you. You're in the wedding industry. There, there are great magazines like Harper's Bazaar, Brides to some extent Martha Stewart weddings great social things like carrots and cake look at the line literally they, they just they are awesome the line yeah there yeah. there's all kinds of tons of things and i would say get more educated on the things where your clients would be you know like the line maybe not a lot of your clients aren't going to be caring about that world but but even then even so like any education is good. Go to these places and just literally look at the brands associated with them and then get educated on these brands and how their look is. It's a cheat sheet. Just just copy wedding brands. Something that stood out, we, we just did our interview with Peyton Frank and I was shocked. I guess not shocked, but I couldn't believe the vocabulary she had about just who is in the luxury industry. Like Peyton Frank is a luxury wedding filmmaker. Yep. She knows everything about luxury the world of luxury weddings not just luxury filmmaking she knows the entire scope the entire landscape of of people that are working in the industry and i would say if you want to do luxury weddings you have to be peyton frank <laughs> you have to either be her or be better than her we at least and have to understand the language she has a huge head start on you so good luck well it's like you can't just go is my films as good as this person? It's like, do you know how to speak the language of the client you want to work with? Yep. And that's what branding is. And yep. like at the end of the Cause, day. Because when you're around a planner, when you're in the same room with them, you have to speak luxury weddings. You can't just be there and be like, oh yeah, I've never heard. Well, you, you don't, you, you need things to say that impress this person to tell them, hey, I know about this fear. Well, I asked a person the other day, I was like, you know, blah, 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 Vera Wang, which I think is like, Basic. Basic. It's Huge. barely even luxury, Huge. right? Vera Wang is massive. And they didn't know who Vera Wang was. Yeah. And I was like, you're not a wedding industry person. Yeah. Sorry. Like, become a, like, you cannot have a wedding, in, like, and everybody wants to have a brand outside of the wedding industry. Yeah. And I would say, like, okay, you can do that. You can be bottle brush films and have a brand that stands out. You better be really freaking good. Like, you better be so freaking good. And most people, by the way, if they're really to be honest, they don't want to be this rogue film company. They want to just get paid a lot. And they want to work regularly. And, they don't, and that's what we're talking about, increasing demand. We're not talking about creating films that are emotionally satisfying or creating special, unique demand. We're talking about, like, more people calling you so that you aren't sitting on your butt having to go work for Tolman Media. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And I would say you don't have to do these things. No. But again, it's a spectrum. Yes. People that do this really well are going to kick your ass. So do it or don't do it at your own expense. Yeah. And ultimately that comes down to if you think your brand is awesome and you're not getting demand, maybe your brand is not awesome. Mm -hmm. And you need to be honest with that. Yep. Last one. 
we put get connected. Yes. This is big, man. Um, it's one of the things that we do really, really well that I have a really hard time pinning down sometimes. Really? Yeah, yeah, because it's like, it's such a, you know, there's this whole thing, how do I go to networking events? How do I network? How do I network? And there's like, there are quick answers, like go to the events we mentioned before. But then there's like this complex network that we have, like where we shot someone's wedding and then they went and worked at this one venue that wasn't really even a wedding venue. But then we did a few weddings there, but then they became, it's like, there are people who've worked for high-end planners where they're their assistant and then they start their own company. It's like, by virtue of us being embedded in the industry, networking becomes a lot easier. Um, because you're at events all the time and the best way to get connected is to be at events, yep. right? And so that, I guess, first tip, get network, network with the people you're working with. What I think is hard is, how do you, like, say you're new and you're not connected. You're, mm. you're not shooting weddings that are industry weddings. You're shooting a local barn where they have a venue person who knows nothing about the wedding industry beyond their own venue. You're not working with high-end, like, photographers or planners. You don't live in a city like we do where you have, like, relevant, like, events where industry events. Like, that's where things, I think, get a little trickier or maybe – and maybe it's just always slow like this, but I, I, that's what I really mean. It can be hard to pin down, like – you know when you're doing it well, but sometimes I think it's hard to know how do you get started with networking and, and con getting connected. Right. And also, I think this is the one where I kind of feel a little bit bad for introverted people because extroverts are going to go out. They're going to make connections. It's going to be natural to them. They go to a network party in a big city. You're naturally just going to, you know, by osmosis, just by being around people, you're going to create these connections and then you're going to have follow up and you're going to create this natural, like, I like you kind of relationship. You like me, let's work together. Introverted people, I think it has to be a lot more of an effort, right? Where it's like, you have to make the, the time to text message someone and be like, Hey, I was thinking about you in the last wedding that you did. I saw this and I thought I saw this sign. I thought it might be good with that kind of, you have to really be thoughtful. Um, but I've seen a lot of both extroverted people, but also a lot of introverted people be very successful well, in creating deep relationships. Let's think people. about me and you. Now you are, what are you, a three? So this is interesting. I was going to bring this up, actually. Uh, I thought I was a three, but then you said I was a seven. I looked at a seven. I was like, I think I might be a seven. I need to take the test. I again. think you're a seven. I think but, I'm a seven, too. But, but, um, you have three elements, but which I is good because I hated all the threes that they listed as like people no, who you're, are threes. You're, you're <laughs> I like hated a, all those people. I think like, the, but the point is, is like, you are a traditional people person. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm very approachable. People mm -hmm. can talk to me. Yes, but also you enjoy certain types of small talk. Mm -hmm. I am not. Yeah. But. This is what I think is for people who are like, I, I have a hard time speaking towards myself. I can speak towards you. Jared is very, very like if you're a type of person who goes to a party and immediately has a crowd or immediately can just do 30 minutes of small talk and win you over that way, that's Jared. Like he can do the other stuff too, but he can go into any social environment. Do I do okay in networking? You want to leave very early. After you've made your rounds, you're like, I talked to this person. I have an agenda. I'm going to talk to that person, that person, that person. Do the rounds. Then you come back and you're like, I'm done. <laughs> but is it effective? It is. And you're very directional. But so I say all this to say there's more than one way to skin a cat. And yeah. so be yourself. Like, But also you, you, you got to at least like I'm not like comfortable with small talk. I'm not comfortable with certain environments. I don't drink. Like like a lot of these environments, they just aren't my aren't my best. I know I'm best solving someone's problem, um, listening to something that's going on in their life, hearing about a deep thing, talking about like the person who like I don't want to do crap, mm -hmm. right? And so now, given I think I have credibility to be able to pull that off, and I didn't. I don't think I always leaned into that. In my whole career, like for a long time, I would just go play the game. Now, as we kind of have more credibility, I think I'm more like, eh, I don't have to do this. I'm not mm -hmm. going to do it. But I do think B2B, 
be yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, but you got to at least like you got to put yourself out there. Yep. I would say a lot of this really just comes down to, you know, we're talking about like parties, but like a lot of this comes down to just putting effort into it. Like this is again, it's just work, it's just hard work. Like if I want to make a connection with someone, planner, photographer, whoever, I'm doing research beforehand. If I really want to like make a relationship work, if I'm mm. like, that's a strategic partnership with this person uh, that I want to be connected with. I do my research. Mm-hmm. I, I look at them. I might fanboy a little bit be like, I love their work. I love the way they do this, this, and I this. I love to work with, the, it starts with a dream, right? Like and you want to like, want to have like, you have to genuinely get to the place where you are genuinely excited right. to work with that person. Yeah. And, and when we went to engage, they give out this great book full of people. And what I did, as soon as we got there, sat by the pool and put check marks. I was like, I want to connect with that person, that person, that person. That's a filmmaker. I love his work. I just want to catch up with him and like make a relationship with that person. This is a strategic planner that I'm like, I'm only going to try to make an effort with this person because there's probably going to be a million people trying to talk to them. But I, that's my one person I'm actually going to try. There's like a reason. And, and I think this yeah. is a big thing with it is like, you got to be honest with yourself if this relationship is going to benefit that person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times me and you will be like, there's no reason this, like, you know, Brian, if you're listening to this, we'd love to work with you. But I know there's no reason Brian Raffinelli needs to work with me. Right. And so I don't bother annoying him. As much as I would love to work with them, they're New England base. It'd be great. They don't need me. Right. Right. Versus some planner who we ran into down in Engage who we knew does a lot of events on Martha's Vineyard. And we were like, I I think we had a little bit of a relationship with before, but we're going to make sure to connect with them, right? Because it's like... On site, they were like, hey, we have this wedding. It's so hard to find someone. And I was like, look, I'm fully booked on that day, but... I'm going to help you. I'm going to actually introduce you to my friend Kyle Smith, mm-hmm. who is there with us, yep. and see if he can do it for you. Like, yeah, it's in my backyard. Yeah, I'm giving Kyle, who's a friend, but he's also, we're all competitors. I'm going to introduce him to one of my most strategic partners. You know why? Because that helps my planner. And yeah, they might hire, hire Kyle again, but they're definitely going to hire me again definitely, for solving their problem. They're definitely going to walk away from the relationship and think, that's a good dude. Yeah. I'm not just in it for me. I'm yes. in it to win it with the team. And like we had carry on a couple weeks ago. That's mainly what she said about what she looks for in her teams is like team players, you know? So I think that's a big thing too. When you actually muster up the courage to go and talk to these people that you are actually approaching them with that attitude of like team attitude, you know, leading from the front, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make everyone successful and make everyone's job well, easier. I know that's hard to do as a videographer, by yeah. the way. Well, because most of them are obsessed with themselves. Okay. <laughs> like, like, like they know nothing about the industry at all. Yeah. I will always just keep hammering this. It's actually, if you are listening to this and you don't know the top planners in your area, the top venues and the top photographers, um, if you've never ever read a bridal magazine, if you don't follow any bridal accounts, yep. um, you're not a wedding industry person. Yeah. I'm sorry. And like, there are other, like there are people who don't do that and do well. Those are the exception, not the rule. Yep. You want to short circuit and just get to the top quicker. Yep. Get over yourself. Like, I don't care if you were like, actually just love playing Call of Duty every night and you're just pounding down Doritos and like Mountain Dew. Go for it. Like go for go. We for do it. that too, by the way. <laughs> That's not the side that you show the wedding industry. Totally. That's not, that can't be your, like you, your relationships are based on like actually pretending to give a crap about the stuff that these people care yeah. about. Don't be too cool. We've seen people who are too cool who haven't made it fizzle out. I've also seen people who are too cool who have made it, who do great work fizzle out because the planner is like, I'd rather work with people who don't treat me like they don't care about what I'm doing. And they would rather hire someone who's just as good because guess what? People will be just as good as you making wedding films unless you're top tier, top 10 in the country, top 10 in the world. People will be just as good as you. There's ways that they'll make up for, you know, uh, you know, what you're bad at. And they'll also be industry people. So if you're serious about this, become an industry person. Yeah, the relationships side of demand when you, it takes the longest to do, mm-hmm. I think, and it takes the most 
being a real one, mm-hmm. right? Like people know pretenders and they don't want to deal with that crap. And people who have actually things to give out, like jobs, they value those things. And it's a small circle. You need to get a, like, you, you better, like, get it, getting into that circle of trust with a photographer or a venue or a planner is not, like, easy because a lot of people want to be in that circle. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants that. If there's a top planner, everybody wants to work with that planner. Like, but I'm going to tell you, they're not going to work with you if you've literally, like, never heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a big thing too. If you're approaching a wedding planner and you meet them in a circle and it's like, Hey, I'm Brian Raffinelli. And you go, Oh yeah, I've never heard of you before. What do you do? What do you do? Like, they'll be like this guy. Oh, well that's so arrogant of them. It's like, come on, dude. Like, yeah. I mean, they've earned it, man. They have, I'm sorry. You haven't. Yeah. The fact that you don't know who Brian Raffinelli is means that I don't really want to hear your opinion on whether Brian Raffinelli stuck up. Yeah. Totally. It's like you're the one who's literally can't book a full season of weddings who didn't have enough courtesy to know the people who are coming to this party. And then you meet one of the top 20 planners in America and don't know who they are. And yeah. he's the arrogant one. And, and, and I don't want to be real uh, unrealistic about it because it's impossible to know everyone in the industry. No, no, but no. but just like do your homework, man. If you literally. Well, if you meet like, Brian Raffinelli in the middle of Oklahoma City, that's one thing. Yeah. But if you're in Boston, Brian Raffinelli is like, you know, he's like somewhat old school he's been he's well established and he's one of the people he's still doing high-end work he, he's he's very reputable yep. there's someone like that in your market who's your brian raffinelli whether maybe they're not doing the biden's wedding but they're doing some they're they're doing big stuff right like you need to know these people i was gonna say one more thing about this don't forget about the people you're working with who maybe don't have the power yet but are next in line yeah that's a great point Great point. I would say my technique of just circle defense <laughs> and zone defense works really well for this because I'm just nice to people even if they haven't made it yet. And I'm like doing the whole social thing. And I've met a lot of people who I'm like, oh, this person, like he has like a thousand people on Instagram. He's fairly new. He'll talk about like some of the things he's going through. And then before, within a year, they're up to like 5,000, 10,000. They've just blown up. Like that happens often. So I would say, you know, be nice to everyone. Don't think, again, don't think you're too cool for school and just be nice to people and they'll remember you. You know who the next wedding planner in your area is? Whoever's working for the top wedding planner in your area. Yeah, it's true. So like you better understand like, if you're working that event, whoever that person's right hand per- the amount of times I've worked an event, and we know everybody, but like you got to know this. If I work an event with a top planner, the amount of times two to three other top planners are working the same event with them to help them out because it's a small circle, crazy, a lot. You could be working with someone who actually does 15 of their own quarter million dollar events who's literally putting flowers up in the room while you're standing there telling off a DJ or crap talking the, fil- the, f- the planner. Totally. It's like you don't know. So like literally. And a lot of times it's easier to talk to those people because they don't have the stress of being the top dog at those weddings. So they're just like you have a lot more time to just connect with them. And so. Oh, I the other day, do. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody and I was like, hey, listen, this is a problem I'm seeing with the way this DJ is setting something up. Do you think Kristen will care about this? Mm-hmm. And I'm doing this because I generally think Kristen would care. B, because I know I want these girls to feel included. Right. I don't want to go directly to Kristen, but I also want to, I do want to talk directly with these people because I want them to feel like I'm a respectful person right. who values them. And the person that you were talking to about that just hired us for, I think, an $8,000 wedding film. So is a planner. Hired us for her wedding. So at a major Boston hotel and is, yeah, having us shoot her wedding and is probably going to refer us for hundred thousand dollars of work in the future. So we made a good impression on that person, clearly. <laughs> so yeah. that's how it works. That's how that's that actually how that's it how always that works. Connection it's, works. It's you bring your expertise to the table, always serve people, always be kind. 
and always keep in mind that everyone's contribution to everything in that wedding mm -hmm. is valuable to them. Yep. And that they want to do a good job. And if you bring that to the table, you serve people and just don't crap talk people mm -hmm. at weddings, you know. You'll be Gucci. You'll be Gucci. So uh, to recap, create reach, get good, create an excellent, excellent client experience, create a compelling brand, and get connected. Those are the top five pillars to creating demand for your wedding film yes. business. Um, I would say as, a, you know, some homework, um, write your top five ways to create demand for each of these categories and make an action plan. That's how you're actually going to uh, make a difference. You're not going to do it just by, you know, thinking about it over the next couple of weeks. Actually write things down. I don't know. Writing things down always helps me. You seem to be someone who just remembers everything in your head. I'll make a PDF. I'll make a PDF for yeah. you guys for the download. And we'll just, we'll just put them out there. Sure. And you can just write, fill in the top five ways. And I would also say out of these top five, the, you know, or these five things we had said, these pillars, like I would, I'll put a little number on them. I want you to label them one through five areas where you're strongest to areas where you're weakest. Because I really, like we are saying, I don't think you need to be an all-star at all five. Right, I right. Think, but you better be able to say, like, I am satisfactory to excellent mm -hmm. at th at least three of them. Yep. And I don't think you can be terrible at any of them. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Like, if you are, if you're decent, if you're sevens on three of these, you'll probably do okay. If you're sevens and four of them, you'll probably be getting regular work, creating high demand. If you are, you know, a seven out of 10 in all five of these categories, you'll probably be a juggernaut. I wouldn't, I would say, and th there's going to be some variance there. Like you might be a 10 in one category. Um, but you can't be a be 10 in one category and a four in all the other ones. Like, right, right. It won't, nothing, none of them doing well will be able to, like, being the best in one of these areas is not mm -hmm. enough to overcome being terrible in. Yep. any of them it's very true very true so guys hopefully this has been helpful for you in creating demand for your business i mean this is like the number one kind of question i feel like a lot of people are asking is just like how do i get work it's like you have to create demand for yourself i struggle to answer it too because it's I, hard I, I i want i don't like like i we were making fun at the beginning of the episode but it's like i don't like that stuff there's like, no cheap way to do it no shortcuts no shortcuts here like you're either going to have to pay with money in a lot of these cases, or in, I guess in one of those categories, or you just have to pay with time. Well, well, this will be the last thing I say, and then you can do your ending. Okay. Demand at any cost is easy. Demand at a margin that is actually conducive to running a quality business that actually makes money, it takes time. So, like, yeah, you could give away all your margin and pay a bunch of money for ads, you could definitely do that, and you could lose a bunch of money, but I promise you, like, if you run ads, you can sell some weddings, right? The key is, is, like, creating a reliable, affordable cost of acquisition for your couples, and that's usually a mix of these things, whether it be paid ads or, like, like all the things that go into cost are your time, right, and your money. So whether it be, like, put, like you want to put in less time, you want to put in less time and you want to put in less money to get more customers. That's effective demand. If you have to put in maximum time and maximum effort, maximum money, okay, like maybe for a short season, that's okay. But what we're talking about is trying to produce like sustainable demand that's at a cost you can afford, whether it be your time or money, that um, allows you to be as profitable as possible and have sustainability over the long haul. That's what we're talking about. Yep. Great point to end on. So, if this has been helpful for you, what I want you to do is give this episode five stars. If you're listening to this wherever you listen on podcasts, super helpful for us, super helpful for the algorithm. Uh, a lot of uh, free tips here that will probably make you a lot of money. So, uh, five stars would be super Don't helpful. Don't worry, someday we're going to pay all these. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, also, um, if you are interested, follow us on YouTube. We actually have two YouTube channels. One is Wedding Film School. That's kind of our more youtube -y content. And then the Wedding Film School show is our podcast. It's our longer form content. Give us a follow over there as well. I think we're up to 6,000 subs on the Wedding Film School show. 
uh, ever growing, and that's great. So we appreciate you guys there. And lastly, uh, in Instagram and Facebook. Facebook, we have an online community full of wedding filmmakers that are uh, happy to give you feedback on your films, happy to give you feedback on any kind of questions you might have. It's a great community. I think the best wedding film community best, in the world. Best in the, I mean, honestly, like, I don't mind bragging. I like bragging. I think bragging is great, actually. Um, as my first tip said, and this thing is you got to believe in yourself and no one else will. And I would say we have the best overall wedding filmmaking education, especially for free, in the world, the most comprehensive across the board in terms of the things that we're covering. So if you like to grow as a wedding filmmaker, check it all out. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you again next week right here on the Wedding Film School Show.